Blog Talk Radio. Uh, 
uh, Social Security has been in effect. And uh, here's a picture of 79 years, years ago, ago. Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed the Social Security Act. Uh, 79 years ago today. Yeah. Uh, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed the Social Security Act and says Alliance for Retired Americans. President Richard Fista. Retiree. This is a quote. Retirees are struggling to get by, but they know how much worse things would be without Social Security. Thanks to Social Security, seniors are able to pay bills, buy groceries, and stay out of poverty. Today, Social Security not only covers retirees, but surviving spouses and children and people with disabilities. The Alliance and the group Social Security Works also released reports on the economic impact of Social Security benefits broken down for each demographic by state. Click here for a look at the Social Security in your state. Well, let's take our but state Fiesta, is Connecticut. Yeah. Fiesta says we need to strengthen and expand Social Security, not cut it, and pointed to the Strengthening Social Security Act, which is now before Congress. Social Security is one of the most successful programs in American history. Uh, fortunately, we can ensure the Social Security system keeps celebrating birthdays for decades to come, and we can do it without harmful benefit cuts. Find out more about Social Security and Retirement Security, and learn more about Boost Social Security Now campaign from the National Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare. In related news, the Social Security Administration has closed some 80 regional offices and more than 500 smaller offices, and has plans to shut out hundreds more over the next several years. That's on top of recent workforce reductions and cutbacks in its office hours. If that's allowed to happen, future birthdays for Social Security won't be so happy. And you can go to this site and sign a petition to keep the Social Security offices and restore services. Uh, can you do that right now? Yeah, well, I, th I thought we already, did we sign it already? No, I don't okay. think so. I know we talked about this before, but I don't think. Expand, don't close Social Security. Uh, first name. And why is that a good thing? It's a good thing because many of the people who are going to collect Social Security are not as computer savvy as younger people. That's correct. And that really... Um, freezes them out of a very important thing. No, I can't see that. The keyboard. Lila is putting in her... Uh, and I'm signing this position. Okay. Right. You know, a lot of people depend on face-to-face -face contact with somebody and they feel a lot more comfortable than going to a computer screen and typing in things. Sure. And they don't feel comfortable, sure. especially with something as important as Social Security. Okay. Let's go back to that article where yeah. we were. Okay. Um, whoops. What happened there? We're trying to get back to our article that we were on. Where did you find that? It's not on here. Oh. I'm angry now. Here it is. It's right oh. here. Sorry. Where? It says AFFL. If you went out on that, it's right there. Uh, it's
Well, just put in Social Security. This is the one. See? Yeah, this is it. Oh, okay. Where did you find this that? Okay, and that's it. Okay. And now we'll go to We all found it, so well, we're like all... I'm part of it. Hang on a second. Uh, it was at the... Go to that article on yeah, the bottom. It is. The bottom. It is. Good news for all Americans yep. in Social Security and Medicare reports. Yeah. Let's see what they have to say. It says, no cuts, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. They're protesting. The annual reports from the Social Security and Medicare trustees released today of good news for all Americans, said AFL-CIO President Richard Trumka. And this is a quote. Social Security and Medicare will be there for us and our families if elected leaders listen to the American people and reject calls to cut benefits. Instead of undermining these crucial programs, we must build on their success and adopt measures to strengthen and expand them. Richard Fiester, Executive Director of the Alliance for Retired Americans, said the most important lesson from the Social Security report is that Social Security has a large and growing surplus Oh, that's what they want. Today's report projects Social Security's cumulative surplus to be roughly $2.8 trillion in 2014 and growing to about $2.9 trillion in 2020. Trumka, <coughs> pardon me. Uh, Trumka noted that while Americans' most important retirement program will remain strong for many years to come, it has become increasingly clear, however, that strengthening Social Security for the future must include improvements in benefits. Social Security remains the sole retirement income plan that is broadly available and that Americans can count on to provide secure lifetime benefits. The, re the Medicare report, Fiesta said, reminds us once again that the Affordable Care Act is controlling health care costs, he said. It's great news that the life of the Medicare Trust Fund has been extended for another four years to 2030. Attempts to repeal health care reform would only undo the progress we have made in controlling health care costs. The Social Security trustees reported once again that the Disability Trust Fund can pay full benefits until 2016, with enough revenue after that time to cover 80% of promised benefits, Trump has said. Congress should act soon to ensure disabled workers and their families will continue to receive the benefits they have earned. This can be done by allocating a large share of current payroll tax contributions to the disability program, as has been done many times before. Congress should reject calls to misuse this opportunity to undermine the sole source of disability income protection that is working well for America's families. And to stop using it in the general funds uh, to, to, to aid Israel and aid uh, all the foreign countries and aid war, uh, uh, you know. Mostly to drop bombs on to other drop people. drop bombs on other people, yeah. Put it creating in our creating more disabled people throughout exactly. the world. Exactly. So let's knock it off. Yeah. Current and future retirees must be wary of those politicians who will use today's Social Security and Medicare Trustees report as political cover for radical changes that would put seniors and the disabled and their families of deceased workers at risk. Yeah, I think it, it, it's so criminal what these bastards do. No, no, right here. You don't want to read the rest of no, the No, no, I want to go to the no. other. All right, well, Because okay. it's more on the same. Okay. The biggest change to Social Security you've never heard about. I think that's important. Yeah. The biggest change to Social Security you've never heard about, and this is by David Cox, Sr., and this article originally appeared at the Huffington Post. There's been a lot of debate and discussion lately about how to shore up Social Security for future generations, but already there are dramatic changes underway that threaten to end Social Security as we know it, yet almost no one has even heard of it. The plan is called Vision 2025. I never heard of it. Every, Ameri every working American has a stake in it. To explain the significance of what's going on, let me paint a picture. 
Say you're the CEO of a major corporation doing $850 billion in business annually out of 1,200 locations across the country. More than 43 million clients walked through your doors in the past year seeking one-on-one appointments with your experienced customer service representatives on matters affecting their financial security. But there's a storm brewing. You've lost 12% of your employees in just the past three years, and another one-third of the workforce is projected to retire in the next decade. Custard demand is breaking records, yet failure to fill vacancies means longer waits for appointments. Customers are waiting three times longer than last year for assistance on your 1-800 phone line while the website that was set up to take pressure off your field offices can't meet demand either. So what do you do? If you're the head of the Social Security Administration, you lay out a plan to close most of your 1,200 field offices, not replace the 30,000 employees about to walk out the door and force your customers to conduct nearly all their business using a phone line and website that are already overwhelmed. This is a real-life scenario playing out right now at Social Security offices everywhere, and the ramifications of decisions made today will affect every working man and woman in this country for generations. This fall, SSA will unveil its long-range strategic plan for the next 10 years, the so-called Vision 2025 plan. A draft of the plan being developed for SSA by the National Academy of Public Administration is frightening. You want to read that part? Yeah, the bulk of SSA's field offices will be shut down, leaving the agency with a significantly smaller and more virtual workforce. Many of the employees left behind would be generalists who lack the technical skills and expertise to address benefits uh, questions. Customers could reach an actual claims representative only in very limited circumstances, either through in-person visits, phone calls, online chats, or video conferences. In the vast majority of cases, the only way to interact with the SSA would be through online self-service delivery. Self-service checkout may work at grocery stores, but it's not the right model for an agency tasked with determining complex retirement and disability benefits for tens of millions of Americans each year. Do they really expect Grandpa to hop in his iPad mini to apply for benefits and get all his questions answered? Most of the individuals contacting SSA for help are elderly, disabled, or indigent. Many others are active seniors who simply are overwhelmed by the complicated maze of laws, regulations, and policies pertaining to retirement benefits. They deserve and expect face-to-face interaction with skilled employees who can ensure they receive all the benefits they are owed. Unfortunately, SSA seemed determined to cannibalize itself. In addition to leaving thousands of positions vacant, management already has shuttered 80 field offices and dramatically reduced hours at remaining offices even before its strategic plan is finalized. As the representatives for the bulk of SSA's workforce, our union is working hard to save Social Security for current and future generations. This week, we plan to submit testimony at a congressional hearing on SSA's plan to dismantle the program. AFGE will not let it die without a fight. I urge you to join the discussion about a program that all of us will ultimately depend on. Your retirement security is at stake. I think this is unconscious. Yeah, this is by David Cox, Sr., national president of the AFGE, which represents more than 670 thousand federal and D.C. government employees nationwide, including more than 28,000 Social Security Administration field office employees across the country. That's incredibly sick, you know, what's going on. Totally sick. Ah, anyway. Ah, so what do you want to... Oh, here's something. AFGE applauds move to reduce federal prison overcrowding. Yeah. I think that's an important thing. They need to have more help programs for for people put in prison. AFGE issued a release today in support of the U.S. Sentencing Commission's unanimous vote on Friday to allow federal prisoners serving time for low-level drug offenses to apply for early release. Overcrowding in federal prisons has become a a significant problem in recent decades, 
AFGE notes that federal prison incarceration levels have risen 50% since 2000 and nearly 900% since 1980, much of it relating to drug sentences. The federal prison system is overcrowded by an average of 43%, with some prisons being much higher, and this increases changes for both correction officials working in prisons and inmates. While the AFGE applauds the decision, they say that it is not the end of the story and more needs to be done to ensure safety for workers and inmates. The AFGE Council of Prison Local President Eric Young said, and I quote, this is a good first step in helping to reduce the explosive growth in our prison population and will provide some much needed relief to our correctional offices and prison staff. You cannot solve the overcrowding issue until you address the sentencing issue. Our officers should not have to fear for their lives every day they show up for work. We need swift action to end the overcrowding issue and restore sanity to our penal system. The AFGE supports the Smarting Sentencing Act introduced by Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat, Illinois, and Representative Raul Labrador, a Republican of Idaho. AFL-CIO delegates approved a resolution at last September's national convention calling for the reform of the mass incarceration industry in the United States. The decision would allow some 50,000 low-level drug offenders who have served an average of nine years already to apply for early release, potentially reducing their sentences by up to two years. AFGE National President J. David Koch Sr. also offered his support for this decision. Our federal prisons are overcrowded and understaffed, a dangerous combination that puts our correctional offices in jeopardy every day they go to work, reducing the lengthy sentences given to those convicted of nonviolent drug offenses will lessen overcrowding significantly, improving safety not only for prison employees but for the inmates as well. 900% yeah. since Can you imagine 19, that? That's, that's absolutely crazy, ridiculous. Crazy. It's just... Crazy, you know, crazy, crazy, yeah. Just, it's, it's awful. Three companies just promised to stop investing in private prisons. Yeah, what is it about? I don't think they should have private prisons. Oh, either. I think they should be public. I think they should be state-run. Mm-hmm. In a victory in the ongoing fight against prison privatization and the big business behind mass incarceration, three companies have agreed to pull $60 million in investments out of the GEO Group Incorporated and Corrections Corporation of America, the two largest private prison corporations in the U.S. The three companies are investment groups Scopia Capital Management, DSM and Amica Mutual Insurance Company, GEO Group, and CCA currently own 75% of the private prison industry in America, and the investments were withdrawn after a campaign by colorofchange.org put pressure on them and 147 other companies. Think Progress reports, and this is from... DSM President Hugh Welsh, and he explains his company's action. In accordance with the principles of the UN Global Compact, with respect to the protection of internationally proclaimed human rights, the pension fund is divested from the for-profit prison industry, investment in private prisons, and support for the industry is financially unsound and divestment was the right thing to do for our clients, shareholders, and the country as a whole. DSM is committed to good corporate citizenship and operating in a way that contributes to a better world. Oh, so they're not making any money. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah. I only wish that it was because they thought it was the wrong thing to yeah. do. But Think Progress notes the problem with the private prison industry. Studies have found that the prison, private prisons spend millions on lobbying to send more people to jail for longer periods of time. The facilities are often rife with abuse and neglect. Two uh, two accusations against the companies range from wrongful death to bad sanitation and even forcing a woman to give birth in a toilet. They do uh, no favors for states that support them. Either Idaho 
was one of the places that ended its contract um, with uh, CCA after the company handed over a $1 million settlement for falsifying staff hours and leaving mandatory monitoring spots unattended. Well, the $60 million in only part of the $3 billion the companies make in profits each year. The investment withdrawals show a growing momentum after CCA lost contracts with four states last year and rapper Kanye West brought CCA to the attention of the masses in his song, New Slaves. The AFL-CIO stood up against uh, prison privatization and mass incarceration in a resolution at its national convention last September. The AFL-CIO came out against private prisons in the business of mass incarceration targeting people of color. Check out the fact sheet on mass incarceration. We should read that fact sheet. Yeah. See what's going to that. Okay. But it says also, AFL-CIO economist William Sprague says, these actions highlight the investors have fiduciary and moral obligations and they can, they can fulfill the both. These investors in this particular case look to the business model of spending millions of revenue on lobbying that uh, lowers investors' returns. Clearly, a business model that needs so much lobbying to drink at the public trough is not viable. And in this case, lobbying that encourages policies that hurt low-term growth broadly by needlessly reducing the labor force size. Okay? Check out the fact sheet on mass incarceration. Let's see what this fact yeah. sheet says. Background, mass incarceration. Listen to this, folks. The United States has the highest rate of incarceration in the world. In 2011, 2.2 million people in America were incarcerated, an increase of nearly 300% since 1980, when just 500,000 were incarcerated. In 2010, there were 2.7 million children, younger than the age of 18, who had at least one parent in jail. Population. In 2010, nearly half of all state prisoners had been convicted of nonviolent crimes. In 2011, the population for local jails was 44% white, 37% African-American, 16% Hispanic. By comparison, the population in the United States was 74% white, 13% African-American, and 17% Hispanic. In 2006, before the Great Recession, more African-American men aged 20 to 34 without a high school diploma or GED were behind bars, 37%. Then employed 26%. Disenfranchisement. 30 states prohibit people who are on parole or are on probation from voting. Another five states disenfranchise people on parole. Three states, Iowa, Kentucky, and Virginia, and the District of Columbia, prohibit all people who have felony convictions from voting, even after they have completed sentences. Of the 5.3 million people who have lost voting rights because of felony convictions, 1.4 million are black men. Impact of incarceration on employment and income. In 2006, ex-prisoners were unemployed about half the time and earned an average of $9,000 a year. Having been incarcerated reduces men's hourly wage by 11%, annual employment by nine weeks, and annual income by 40%. During a father's incarceration, a family's income is reduced by an average of 22%. After the father is released, family incomes remain 15% lower than it was the year before the father's incarceration. The cost of incarceration. Between 1980 and 2000, the share of all state and local spending for corrections grew by 104%, while the share for education dropped by 21%. Private prisons. From 1990 to 2009, the average number of prisoners in a private facility increased by 1,664 percent. In 2011, private prisons held 130,000 prisoners and 16,000 civil immigration detainees at any given time. By 2010, the annual revenues of the top private prisons alone amounted to $3 billion. In 2011, a jury convicted Judge Mark Ciavarella for, for accepting nearly $1 million from a private juvenile facility. In five years, his rulings accounted for 22% of the decisions to detain Pennsylvania youth. Rehabilitation. 
Uh, a study of more than 3,600 offenders in three states found that offenders who participated in prison education programs were 29% less likely to be reincarcerated than non-participants. Some 56% of state prisoners, 45% of federal jail prisoners, and 64% of local jail inmates had mental health or drug problems. And those are the statistics, folks. That is really sad. It's really, really sad. But that's where we're spending all our money? Yeah. That and on war. That Just and on war. on hurting people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, jeez, you know. So we hurt our own people, and, of course, we drop bombs all over the world and hurt everybody else's. Yeah. Of course, nice. Of course, of course. It's, it, it, it's, I, that's the way we do it. I guess so. That's the way it's done. Well, when a country is run by corporations, there's no soul. No. We're a fascist state, people. And, you know, we're a fascist country. We, that, that's, you know, <sighs> you know, I don't know. It's just... No, it's become soulless. When you're run by an empty empty shell, that's what, that's what you are. Yeah. Yeah, I know. What do you say? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. Do we have a video or something that yeah. maybe sometimes there's some pretty good ones? No, but I, I haven't seen one. I'll say this school. Just one. Student loans, that's a big problem. People are, let's well, play that. Well, it might be worth okay. listening to. Give responsible student loan borrowers a chance. Student loan borrowers are trying to do the responsible thing by paying off their loans, but are being punished with high interest rates. When you take out a mortgage or car loan, you can refinance the loan to get better interest rate. With student loans, however, you're stuck with this interest rate set by Congress. Even though this rate is high enough to produce massive profits beyond cost of operating the student loan program, and that's just not fair. And I, I agree with that. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's, that's just, you know, they're, they're ripping off everybody. Making it impossible for kids everybody. to get ahead. Hi, I'm Liz Schuler, Secretary Treasurer of the AFI. And this week, we have an opportunity to weigh in to help 25 million Americans lower their student loan payments. Many of you are familiar with Senator Elizabeth Warren's bill, S-2432. It's coming up for a vote again this week, and we are hopeful that you'll weigh in and use the power of your voice to end the filibuster. Many of you know that it came up for a vote last June, and we were only a handful of votes short. So we need to end the filibuster and get to a vote on the legislation. We need your help by calling your senators, weighing in via Twitter, posting on Facebook, and getting your friends and communities galvanized around getting this legislation passed. Let's make it happen. I do, too. As a matter of fact, I was just talking to a colleague about um, uh, her daughter moved back to the area. She now has four jobs. She's trying to buy a car and pay off her student loan debt. Okay. She has four jobs in this area. This is a friend, a colleague at work. Her daughter moved back. I'm not going to say who the name is. She has a, very, she has a good job. But she, she has one job where she works five days during the week. She has another job where she works over the weekend on a project for a local bank. And then she works uh, two other jobs uh, in restaurants, being a waitress. So that's four jobs. One, to help pay off her student uh, loans. Does she sleep at all? It doesn't sound like it. And part of it is the heavy student loan debt. And what, she, what does she do for a living? She, I, I can't tell you that she works. Um, she works right. at a. She works at a at a local business which does compliance for federal laws and stuff. But she's not, she's young. She's not making enough money to pay off all these things. So they got to pay. That's sick. Uh, six reasons why Scott Walker is one of the worst candidates for working families in the 2004 election. Uh, that's true. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But let's, he's let's, that Wisconsin guy. Yeah. yeah let's, let's, uh, you know, it's oh, one of the things uh, that uh, that Foley said, and why he's getting attacked, is he thought Connecticut needed a Wisconsin moment. 
Foley is who's running, who's running, running for governor of Connecticut. He's running for governor of Connecticut against uh, Donald Malloy, the Democrat. But Foley, Foley is, is, is such a fool. I mean, well, he, ran for, he ran against Malloy four years ago and lost. But he, you know, the guy is a Romney kind of guy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He's a vulture capitalist, made all his money through screwing over companies, all right? And then going to and then going to Iraq and screwing over. Uh, and Eddie was involved with the Iraqi mess. That mess where all that money disappeared. He was the guy that was supposed to be in charge of that. Or part of it, yeah. Or part of that whole yeah. system. I and we're uh, waiting to get some confirmation uh, uh, to read that report. And what, what, what he was really involved with, but I mean the guy is dirt. and you know he's running for Republican. So then, so then he says uh, that. <laughs> He thinks Connecticut needs a Wisconsin moment. And when he was challenged on that, because the Wisconsin governor, of course, is anti-union. Oh, totally. Uh, he says he's not anti-union. He didn't really mean that. He just oh, mean we need, needed to... Also, this, this idiot, Foley, he wants to... He, he, he's, he, he's also agreed not to, to have background checks on mentally uh, crazy people, okay? Mental, mental people. No, people Leo. Mental, no, no. Background uh, checks on for gun ownership. No, for gun ownership on mental nuts. Okay, on mental, every, mental on, incompetence. Yeah, on okay. all kinds he, of. He, he's saying no. We don't need that. Let them go crazy. They can buy a gun. They can shoot up anybody they no. want to. You know, he, he's a freaking nutball. This guy Foley is a nutball. And that's okay? why and he's he running got, for and, and he's got all the crazy, and that's crazy why, guys in the and state. And that's why he got the support of the gun lobby. Yeah, yeah. but the no gun, restrictions. No, but the gun lobby is crazy here too. I mean, I mean, come on, you know, no, no responsible gun owner wants some crazy son of a bitch running around, uh, you know, with a gun. Okay, I mean, it's pretty bad. Especially yeah. somebody who has a history of mental illness. Or a history of, 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 of uh, anything, you know, violence or a history of, of, of uh, a prisoner, ex-convict, you know. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about the background checks. I mean, okay. this kind of guy is a freaking nut. So let's read about yeah. the Wisconsin, why we shouldn't have Scott well, here's Walker. Here's Scott Walker, who's the, one of the worst possible governors in the universe. It's an election year, and we're quickly approaching the time when working families will have the opportunity to go to the polls and vote against a whole host of extreme candidates who support policies that limit rights, make it even harder to afford a middle-class life and pad the pockets of their corporate buddies. One of the worst candidates for working families in the 2014 election is Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. And here are six reasons why Walker has been bad for working people. Number one, Walker promised to create 250,000 jobs in his first term. But with only a few months left, the state is dead last in the Midwest in terms of job growth, and he's less than halfway towards reaching his jobs goal. Number two, and jobs aren't just the one negative in Wisconsin's economy. The Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia ranked the state 49th in economic outlook, and Wisconsin was one of only five states projected to contract in the second half of... To contract. Projected to contract. What do they mean by that? To contract. Oh, contract. Contract. Oh, okay. To shrink is what they mean. Projected to contract in the second half of 2013. In other words... Their economic outlook is shrinking instead of expanding. On top of that, new estimates show the state will be facing a $1.8 billion shortfall in the next budget cycle. That's interesting. Yeah. So and he's probably cut taxes for the rich so they don't have any, any money. Well, yeah. you've you got to remember, he's a coke uh, uh, Shill, yeah. As coke governor, coke. Walker made the largest education cut in the state's history, more than $1 billion. Walker signed legislation that would preempt local government control, preventing them from requiring paid sick days for workers, regardless of how much the community might want them. Despite the number five, despite the fact that wages are stagnant and the minimum wage continues to lose buying power, Walker opposed raising the minimum wage, calling such a proposal political grand, a grandstanding stunt. What a jerk. Oh, yeah. And number six, and the kicker, that we're all too familiar with, 
Walker signed a bill to strip public employees of their collective bargaining rights, barred the traditional collection of union dues, and forced workers to pay more for their health care and retirement benefits. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, this guy was a bum. I mean, he's a complete and utter bum. Oh, oh man. Four reasons why John Kasich is one of the worst candidates for working families. I wonder why he, who he is. I don't know who these people are. Well, so, uh, Tom Corbett is one of the worst candidates. And where is he from? Let's Not find sure. out where he's from. Not sure. Tom Corbett. Uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Oh, he's the governor of Pennsylvania. In its election year, and we are quickly approaching the time when working families will have the opportunity to go to the polls and vote against a whole host of extreme candidates who support policies that limit rights, make it even harder to afford a middle-class life, and pad the pockets of their corporate buddies, one of the worst candidates for working families in 2014 election is Pennsylvania's Tom Corbett. Here are seven reasons why Corbett has been bad for working people. Hey, he's the governor, mind yeah. you. Yeah. Corbett promised to make Pennsylvania number one in job creation. Instead, the state has fallen to 46th in the country under his policies. <laughs> nice. Rather than addressing the real reasons why unemployment is so high in his state, Corbett blamed drugs. Well, was he taking them? Is that, is that why? Is that why? Yeah, maybe he would say, I'm, I'm on drugs, so I, I was paying attention. No. In an editorial in Cumberlake, he said, many employees say that we're looking for people but can't find anyone who has passed drug tests. Oh, that's so bullshit. Oh, my God, how lame is that? Number three, as governor, Corbett has cut funding for education and eliminated 20,000 public school jobs. As a result, almost 70% of the state's school districts had to increase class sizes despite a state constitutional requirement to fund schools. Number four, while cutting education, Cor Corbett has made sure to continue to give away massive tax breaks to corporations to the tune of $3.2 billion a year. That's a lot of money that could fund proper education and, create, and programs to create jobs. Yeah, I think he was the one on drugs. Uh, not just content, content, yeah. not just content to cut education. Corbett's cuts weren't felt very equally. A study from the Pennsylvania State Education Association found, with the education cuts, that state funding cuts to the most impoverished districts average more than three times the size of cuts with the lowest average child poverty. So he. Cruel. He, he, he really burdened the poor, totally deprived true. poor children yeah. of a decent education. Corbett has made it pretty clear that he's opposed to raising the state's $7.25, and 25 cents an hour minimum wage, despite the fact that Pennsylvania's working families are seeing their incomes fall further and further behind the cost of living. God, that's a state I'd never moved to. I can't understand it. Pennsylvania is a big union state, too. I yeah. Mean, coal miners, uh, um, you know, union, uh, steel workers. Well, they probably of. rigged the elections. That's all I, I can mean, uh, Why would they vote for an asshole like that? Not content to cut funding to state programs, Corbett also sought to cut the revenue streams that funded those programs, too. When he first came into office, he attempted to privatize the state lottery, proceeds of which fund programs that many benefit that benefit many of the state's residents. He probably wanted to buy that from himself and his Lush. cronies. What a jerk! Please don't. If you if you're in Pennsylvania, if you don't know somebody, vote for him, please don't. How horrible this guy is! You know, God, this guy's horrible. Terrible. I read uh, this guy here. I, Rick Snyder, I've heard. I don't know where he's from. Another piece of work. Five reasons why Rick Snyder, let's see, one of the worst candidates. He's a Michigan, Michigan Governor Rick Snyder. Oh, my God, that's why. Yeah, Michigan. I mean, Detroit is, is, is dying, died. You know, half the, half, the, half the people, half the city is is has been cut off of their water. Oh. All right, Detroit and Michigan is, is, is one of the worst. Worst, worst, worst cities, and worst countries, and worst Number states one, in the world. Number one, read that. That's just a repeat of what we've read. In an election year. A repeat of what we've read. All, 
all over the okay. last two times. Snyder, number one, signed into the law two bills. Uh, one applying to public workers, one of the private workers, uh, that bypassed the normal committee by process and public input period and made a state a right-to-work state, which in reality just means that the balance of power in the state favors wealthy CEOs over workers even more than it already did. During the time of high unemployment, because of wild Wall Street risk-taking, Snyder uh, signed legislation cutting unemployment benefits, corporate taxes, and workers' earned benefits. He also cut the budget, workers' compensation, and regulations that protect Michigan residents. You know, i, I got to tell you, though, all right, even though this guy's a son of a bitch, where the hell is the state legislature? They allowed this crap? They must be the biggest pricks that are walking the earth. Okay, despite the increased uh, need for uh, education in tough economic times, Snyder cut funding for schools while making sure to fund tax breaks for big corporations. According to the Detroit Free Press, and then to add financial insult to injury, Emmer Rick Snyder cut higher education funding by 15% in his first budget, in part to pay for a big business tax cut. Number four, while he was a seemingly endless desire to cut taxes for big corporations, the wealthiest residents of the state, he cut back on tax credits that working families depend on, like the Homestead Property Credit, Earned Income Tax Credit, and the Child Tax Credit, and added new taxes ah. to retiree pensions. What a piece of pricking work this guy is. Snyder refuses to listen to the will of the people, even on issues that directly affect them. In November 2012, voters repealed the emergency manager bill that Snyder had previously signed, which takes away power from officials elected by the public. Snyder and his cronies in the legislature quickly passed a new version of the bill that prevents citizens from repealing it a second time. Oh, my God. They ought to get rid of it. I mean, why don't they get, I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, Michigan, you know, wake the hell up, you know? Well, you know, it's a rigged election, Leo. I know, but you know, it's time for a revolution in Michigan, don't you think? Is that the state where they went into the Capitol, and, or was it Wisconsin? Well, we, no, it was Wisconsin. Yeah. But, but the, the thing is, is, is Michigan, you get Detroit there, yeah. okay? Michigan is, 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 is actually, I don't know, it's just been taken over. You know, yeah. all, these, all these, this is where the, the, the car companies, this was one of the biggest, most wealthiest states in the, in the country at one time. And it's now the worst. Yeah. The worst. It's probably the worst state in the country. And it's got the worst governors. It's got the worst politicians. Terrible. And and yet, you know, it's going it's moving on. I don't understand. I, I, I mean, I don't understand what's wrong with the people of Michigan. You know. They're 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 lost it. They 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 have no power, obviously. Yeah. And uh they're not you know, they're destroyed. And they're, they're, allowing, and they're, and they're giving guys like Rick Snyder, they're electing guys like this. I don't understand. I, I just don't understand, folks. I'm sorry. And it's got to be a better way, no? It's got to be a better way. I would hope so. I mean, you got, you got, <clears throat> you got the worst possible governors in the worst possible state. Between state governors like that and the, uh, yeah. and the assault on Social Security, I mean, it's just these, these things are horrible. And the I mean, fact that they've imprisoned so many people. Yeah. I mean, we're being persecuted. I mean, it, it's like persecution yeah. by the wealthy. Oh, I mean, absolutely. as uh, as that woman um, was giving an address to, I've forgotten who she was. She was speaking to the British public about the fact that we're becoming a two-class society, the rich and the poor. Oh, that's right. And we then really she was cut off but in her talk. So that they could talk about uh, the, the new baby, that the, the, the Will's wife is pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, really? Who cares? They had one homely kid. Do we have to look at another one? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you know, it's, it's, it's no, you know, no surprise here. I don't know. It's, but I mean, she was really saying that in in Britain, there's, they were going back to yeah, Victorian right. times, where there's the rich and the the upstairs people and the downstairs people. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, uh, really? Yeah. Tough. Here's one that probably 
nobody nobody ever knew about, except musicians who are being uh, punished by it. Musicians satirize Lion Gate's offshoring practices and write here at the top. We're outsourcing workers. We don't want to stop. We're concentrating profits right here at the top. Members of the American Federation of Musicians wrote a song satirizing the film uh, company's Liongate Entertainment for placing profits ahead of people by outsourcing jobs in the production of its movies. AFM is calling on Lionsgate to stop offshoring musicians' jobs and live up to the standards maintained by the movie company. By other movie uh, companies. Yeah. The song says, we're outsourcing workers, we don't want to stop, we're concentrating profits right here at the top. CEO John Pfeiffer, Feldheimer, is being paid $66.3 million in total compensation in 2014, 400% more than he was paid in 2013. The company has received, what? Go ahead. 400%. Yeah. More. Unbelievable. Yeah, the company has received $82 million this year while continuing to send musicians jobs overseas. We can and listen to the song. Uh, yeah. Uh, but the, the incredible thing is, too, people forget, Lionsgate, this is an interesting uh, note about Lionsgate, it used to be an all-porn company. Oh, really? It started off as a porn, porn company. And then it started, then it went legitimate with a couple of uh, questionable uh, um, uh, Movie? movies, and then it got into television and stuff like that. So yeah, so it was. Uh, but they always were. But they they started off as a porn as a porn movie uh, uh, company. What? Here it says we can listen up now. Listen. Uh, to no, go up there. Right. Like this year, the new song from Emma. Like right there. Uh, get No, go down to where No? Huh. This is listening to us. I listen up that They don't have a link to it. Oh, that's kind of weird. It says listen to the song. Oh, oops, we couldn't find that track. Oh, okay. They probably, tried, but they couldn't They're probably find forced to take it down. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, what do we got here? Uh, oh, yeah. This is another one that really, really pissed me off when I heard about it. Was musicians uh, blast the NFL to pay to play scheme. The NFL is char- wants to charge musicians for playing in their halftime program in the Super Bowl. Is that just? Yeah. All right. Normally, regardless of what the field you work in, and you show up, uh, you show up, you perform the task required of you, then you get paid for, for your work. Well, the National Football League has a better idea. Show up, perform, and you pay them. At least that's its proposal for musicians who might play at halftime of the league's biggest event, the Super Bowl. I tell them to shift. Yeah, right. The American Federation of Musicians condemned that proposal as possibly the most colossal pay-to-play scheme ever. Historically, the NFL usually hasn't paid halftime acts uh, despite the that the league charges $3.8 million for each 30-second commercial for the full 45 minutes of ads played during the game. So they don't pay anybody? No. On top of that, the league had has the league has, has had uh, revenue of more than $9 yeah. billion a year. The AFM reports that the NFL even requested a portion of post-show tour earnings yeah. from the artists who perform. So they aren't just asking musicians to pay to play. But to keep playing after they play, AFM President Ray here strongly condemned the request. It's not like the NFL and its Super Bowl organizers don't have any money and can't afford to pay for halftime show performances. It's about the insatiable thirst for profits at the expense of great musical entertainment and those who create it. You can't find kickback schemes like this coming from unscrupulous, bar and nightclub owners, but for the NFL to descend to such depths would be unconscionable. Well, they're used to kicking people around. They kicked their yeah. own players around. Yeah, yeah. They had them out there playing with with lousy helmets, so they were all they were all drooling at 40 and can't find their way home. 
Yes. This is the truth, Leo. Yeah, I mean, they they go through men like somebody else goes through toilet paper. Oh, I yeah. mean, it's ridiculous the way they treat their employees. It's just horrendous. Oh, yeah. I mean, these guys, I mean, they may get paid big money for a while, but it's only after, you know, if they can survive their contract period. Yeah, if they're not killed or permanently and disabled. They, and if they do, they wind up uh, disabled anyway and uh, no brain, you know, by the time they're 40. You know, so it's, it's not a good deal. No, it's it. What looks like a good deal to people, it's not a good deal if you if you've had multiple concussions no. and you end up with Parkinson's or uh, MS uh, or uh, or brain diseases of any kind. It, it's terrible. Yeah. And now and now they want to treat uh, the entertainment acts the same way. Well, they so they've gotten away with abusing people. So why shouldn't they just abuse musicians too? Why do they think they're any more special than athletes? That's true. I mean, that isn't that the mentality of that league? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is one. They were brought thing, up. I guess. They were brought up <laughs> short, but they thought they were going to be able to mistreat women. Yeah, with the Mike Rice thing. Yeah. And but they couldn't. You know, they've mistreated their male athletes. They're trying to mistreat musicians, but women aren't going to stand for it. Good for them, though. But here, here's something. At last, Sunday football, when it comes with a union label. Oh, oh. something. <laughs> the first Sunday of the NFL season is here. The world champion Seattle Seahawks kicked off the action Thursday, the 36-16 win over Green Bay Packers. But while we are settling into our recliners and couches or at our favorite sports bar, thousands of union members on and off the field are making sure the game runs smooth as Peyton Manning's two-minute drill. From Soldier Field in Chicago to Jerry Wood, Wood to Jerry Wood in Dallas and at stadiums around the country, nearly 1,700 members, active and practice squad players of the NFL Players Association, are seeing their first action of this 2014 season. The other folks on the field, the men in the striped shirts, are members of the National the NFL's Referee Association. The announcers, cameras, operators, technicians, field workers, and other hardworking folks are bringing the game to your flat screen, <coughs> excuse me, football game or favorite bar. Include members of SAG, AFTRA, National Association of Broadcasting Employees and Technicians, electrical workers, and laborers. Um, for the fans who head to the concessions in many stadiums, their hot dogs will be served and their beer will be drawn by union members, including the 2,500 Unite Here members who work for some 58 NFL and other major league stadiums. If you didn't get a chance earlier this year, <coughs> check out how one Seahawks fan, an IBEU local 191 member, transformed himself into the large, green, and angry Seahawk, far from frightening than the Seattle secondary. Our a uh, friend, David Groves of the Washington State Labor Council, the stand reported in February the story of how the local area contractors and others came together and raised funds to make sure the Seahawk uh, and his crew of body painters made it to the Super Bowl. And Groves also pointed out that the Seahawk players are affiliates of the WSCL. Check out this handy list of union-made products all below so you can plan NFL Sunday watch parties with our all-union all the way. For food, ballpark <laughs> hot dogs, deli mix taquitos, Farmer John Meat, Tuber National Hot Dogs, Hermel Chili, Burra Wheat Buns, Sara Lee Buns, and Tyson Chicken. Dips, Old El Paso, Hidden Valley Ranch, and Paste, Condiments, uh, French Mustard, Heinz, Lee and Perrin's Worcestershire Sauce, and Open Pit Barbecue Sauce. These are all union-made products. Sodas and drinks. Barks root beer, not bad. Uh, Coca-Cola, union... Uh, no, Minute Maid. Minute Maid, Pepsi, Sprite, Welch's, beer. I mean, if you got... I don't particularly like these companies, but if you got to, you know, if you got to drink it, you know, something, drink... I don't like their product. I don't like their product. I, I don't, we don't drink soda. Beer, Miller High Life, Miller Light, Milwaukee Best, Budweiser, Bud Light, Michelob, Shock Top. Bush and Rolling Rock, Sides, B&M Beans, Heinz Baked Beans, and the Rosarita Refried Beans. Snacks, 
Cheddar Cheddars, Bugles, Tech Mix, Chips Ahoy, Corn Nuts, Doritos, Frito-Lays, Chips and Snacks, Keebla Crackers and Products, Lays Potato Chips, Nabisco Crackers, Oreos, Planters Peanuts, Wrist Crackers, Roll Gold Pretzels, Tostitos, and Wheat Thins. Well, go. we both have a gluten allergy, so we can't eat <laughs> But in the past, <laughs> I thought that. they were pretty good. Well, a lot of that we can, some of those things we can still eat, especially tacos and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, those are good. Yeah. So, but, and, uh, I, and I do like a hot dog now, and then yeah. I do have some. So, we got to remember. So, there are a lot of things there ballpark, that, yeah. yep, ballpark. And okay. I think those are, I want to say, I don't know whether those are gluten-free. We try to get yeah, yeah. nitrate-free. Yeah, nitrate, some of them are. Yeah, we try to get. you got to be careful with Yeah, you got to really shop, but it's good to know. Well, whatever it is, are, it, you know, even though, you know, you go union, stay away from the GMO Monsanto crap, you know. you got to protect your health. you got to protect your health. And we've come right to the end of our show, and I thank yeah. you for being with us tonight, and you'll be talking and listening to Leo tomorrow night. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. We want to thank everybody, and we're going to get other computer here. Leo has to sign out on the other computer. All right, everybody. Have a pleasant evening, and join me tomorrow night with Maria Algieri as we go into the trans-dimensional travel. Thank you.